and welcome to our next episode of self-love series. Today we're focusing on emotional health. So just as a recap from last week, we talked about mental health, which is actually closely related to our emotional health. So mental health, according to Mayo Clinic, is basically a conglomeration of our emotional, our social, our psychological well-being, as well as our cognitive abilities. And it includes how we think, we feel, and we act. So understandably, we can see how our emotional health is an aspect of our mental health. Our emotional health concerns really our ability to deal with any life events that happen to us and recognize our own emotions as well as to be able to sort out and process those emotions in a healthy manner. Our ability to deal with changes are a very important part of our emotional health. So I'd like to take a second and just kind of define what does good emotional health look like? We hear a lot about emotional health on TV or on social media, but what does that actually look like? So some signs that someone has good emotional health. Learning how to say no without feeling guilty, which honestly, guys, I struggle with this personally. I work in the fitness and wellness industry and well, let me put it this way. My schedule is ever evolving. It is not consistent. And so part of it is just learning to be flexible, but then, um, life circumstances do happen. And I try my best to make everyone feel valued and important. But at the end of the day, sometimes me saying yes, to everyone else actually puts my own needs at the very bottom. And as you can see, that does not result in a healthy emotional balance. So learning how to say no without feeling guilty, definitely a very important thing. The next sign of good emotional health is feeling that you have a strong support group or a group of individuals that you can share what's going on with you emotionally or mentally. Being able to talk either to someone such as a therapist, a psychiatrist, or even just close friends and relatives who will be there to listen to you and to empathize and understand with what you're going through is really key to our overall emotional, but in general, our overall health. The third thing is feeling good about who we are. If we don't genuinely like who we are, odds are our emotional and our mental health for that matter will not be high or good. If we tend to have a lot of self-doubt or a lot of self-hatred, we will naturally have more negative thoughts towards ourselves. We will naturally be more anxious, more insecure, more fearful, and more closed off to other people who actually are on our side and they're not judging us, right? Because think about, um, I'm going back to a time when I was growing up, I went to school in another county or district and then went to church in another county or district. 
and I was very shy, but I was also very fearful that this group of individuals didn't like me. And so I told myself that I wasn't really likable or friendable um, when that in actuality was not the case at all. That was just a, a lie that I told myself. So I really didn't feel good about who I was at that point in time. The next thing, being able to relax. If we are constantly on the go of, or if we constantly stress our minds so that our minds are always on the go, when are we actually relaxing? It's probably not very often. Being able to have that time where we can literally just kind of veg out. I'm not saying necessarily mindless activity, or maybe we just need mindless activity, but having that ability to not be so concerned with other relationships, with our work, with whatever our mind is preoccupied with, having that time where we can completely focus on ourselves and relish and enjoy this time. So relaxation time might look like a nap. (laughs) It might look like just more sleep in general. Relaxation time might look like a massage or reading a book that we've been wanting to read. It might look like watching a Netflix show. There's nothing wrong with a little Netflix binging every once in a while. It's much needed. So just finding that time and finding what it means to you to relax. And then really, this one of the most important signs to me of being able to have high emotional wellness is that we can take constructive criticism without it being personal. We don't view what other people are telling us as a threat or an attack. It's just merely an observation. And normally when people give us feedback, remember it's not necessarily about us. It's actually more about them. So just know that. Um, So being able to just take any information that we get and just kind of filter it. We're almost like a sponge where we let that information or that experience, whether that information or experience is good or bad, and just let it pass through us. Kind of like a a membrane. A membrane is semi-permeous, meaning that some things can pass through, some things don't pass through. So having that membrane-like structure of our mind where we just let some things filter in and then we just let some things go. So how can we kind of check in and how can we evaluate our emotional wellness? So if you have a sheet of paper or if you have your computer or if you just want to kind of pause this podcast and talk through it. Take the time to just reflect on how you check in on your emotional wellness. So one thing is, are you aware of what's going on in your body? Do you notice when you eat, how you feel as you eat? Do you notice how you eat? Do you eat in a really rushed manner or do you take your time really savoring the smell and the taste or the texture of the food? Uh, Do you normally eat alone or with others? Do you eat in your car um, or at your desk or in front of a TV in a rather hurried manner? So just being really aware of our body sensations as we go throughout our day. One really great way to notice how our emotional wellness is on an overall level is whenever you have bouts of stress come your way. 
do you have any bodily reactions? Meaning that, do you notice you start to have a headache or maybe your chest gets really tight or you have a backache or maybe all of a sudden you're extremely gassy and bloaty? Those are physiological responses to stress and can indicate that there is some kind of mental or emotional distress going on. And obviously there's a lot of factors that can go into our emotional health, but today we're really just gonna stick with the topic of emotional uh, wellness because I could so be a squirrel right now and just go down a, a completely different tangent. So another way to check in with our mental and emotional wellness is how we interpret stress and challenges. Do we see the stress as something that is a complete panic attack, will ruin our day, will send us off on this wild tangent, or do we view the stress as something that we can learn from? For example, um, the other day I taught a cycle class and it was the third class of the day and I honestly didn't think anything of it. I started teaching and then of course, um, during a particular song where I was trying to connect with my writers, I had a had this like awesome, not speech, but I, I had a really, a nice message where I was trying to connect with my writers and what happens, my batteries die, of course. So I'm not able to communicate with them because they can't hear me over the music. So part of that is just, was it a stressful situation? No, not really, but I could have taken the time to just put in a new battery before class. So basically viewing that as, you know, I could have gotten really stressed out and just let it ruin my whole day, but it's like, okay, well, I learned from it. Next time I'm gonna add new batteries. So how we handle stress is really, really important. So another thing that I think is so key when we're determining our overall levels of emotional wellness is just do we actually allow ourselves to experience emotions just as they are? Like um, saying no, this is another one that I really struggle with personally and professionally. As a fitness professional, as a mindset coach, as a registered dietitian, I have to be there for my clients. And obviously I need to put my best face forward. So I can't always show or act or behave or portray my true emotions. So I have to make sure that at some point in time throughout my day, I have a safe space to process those emotions. In the past, when I have not taken time to process those emotions, it has really come back to backfire on me. Uh, depending upon the class or the client, there have been times where I've just said, hey guys, and I didn't really share details, but I've said, I'm really struggling today. Today is a hard day for me. Just so people knew where I'm at. I do believe in operating life from an, a perspective of authenticity and honesty. And some days we just don't have it, right? We just cannot put forth that energy. As long as we don't fixate on ourselves, I do think it's appropriate at times to share with individuals where you are at. I realize um, certain professions, law, medicine, uh, you simply, you can't, you know, you might share that with your colleague, but you certainly wouldn't share that with a client or a patient and that can be tough. So we'll talk about um, some tips here in a minute for developing 
strategies for our emotional health, but definitely if you are in a profession where you really can't share what's going on or what's on your mind, you can't process or fully be in that moment to experience that emotion, we have to almost develop a third party brain, a higher brain that's kind of overlooking ourselves and realizing, but recognizing those emotions of, okay, right now I have extreme and then insert the emotion. I cannot express it at this particular moment, but I will make sure that I get it out at a later time in the day and that it is a priority. So another way that we can check in is, are we actually asking for help when we need it? Again, something else that I'm working on is just being able to say, hey, I need help. Our pride, our ego, it does get the best best of us sometimes, and we resist asking for help when really we need to. And more than likely, people want us to ask for help. I've been reading a book uh, that revolves rethinking things. And through the ability to rethink things, even NASA astronauts have made critical errors because they simply didn't ask for help. So this just goes to show that it really doesn't matter who you are, how intelligent you are, how well versed you are, we all need to ask for help and to be supported and to feel like we're not going to be judged or evaluated when we ask for help. And again, we're, we're going to get to strategies to learn to ask for that here in just a minute. Lastly, but definitely not least is do we take care of ourselves on a daily basis? And this is a broad question. Self-care could look like more sleep. It could look like a better diet. It could look like exercise. It could look like saying no. There's so many different ways to define self-health. Last week, I had you guys define your top three to five values. And this week, your homework is to define what self-care looks like. So defining self-care is going to help you, one, just kind of reaffirm your top values, and also two, when you're going through these practices of creating good emotional health, you have your values and you have what self-care looks like. So you know if your actual behaviors or actions don't mimic your values or they don't support your self-care practices, then something has to change. So next we've got some tips for developing emotional health, which this is going to take a lot of practice. It's going to take a lot of grace and empathy from you, from yourself, for yourself because we are not superhuman and it is unrealistic to expect a bunch of changes overnight. Usually the more changes that we try to make in a short time span, the worse the outcome. We're not typically very successful in creating long lasting habits. So my recommendation as a dietitian, as a health coach, as a mindset coach, let's focus on one goal. Um, Earlier this year, I have created some social media content 
on manifesting and on creating a vision board. But within that, we talked about SMART goals. And SMART goals are scientific, they are measurable, they are attainable, they are realistic, and they are time-bound. So basically, we are making these goals as specific as possible. For example, I was working on a goal of sleeping better. Okay, that's a very vague goal, right? If I say, I want to sleep better, that's pretty vague. (laughs) We can get a lot more specific. If I said something like, I am going to go to bed by 10 p.m. Monday through Friday and wake up by 6 a.m. Monday through Friday for the next three months, I have made it specific. I have given myself an action plan and it's time bound. It's within three months. That's a much more specific goal. And it's also attainable for me, right? You have to make sure that it's realistic and it's attainable. If you have a goal to lose 50 pounds in one month, it can be done, but it might involve losing a limb or in some way that's not healthy and totally unrealistic. So we we just have to be very particular about our goals. So using these SMART goals though, can help us make long lasting change where we don't get overwhelmed, we don't get frustrated, and we actually see successful results. So I encourage you to think about this as I give you the tips for developing good emotional health practices. So number one, my top tip for developing good or great emotional health, set boundaries. We are not superhuman, we cannot do everything. So just learning to say no. How do you know what to say no to? Go back to your values. What you prioritize is ultimately what is most important to you. And no one can argue or tell you what is most important. Ultimately, your health, what you prioritize is the most important thing. My second tip for developing healthy, emotional well-being is getting seven to nine hours of good quality sleep per night. So if you're like me beforehand, I was sleeping five, maybe six hours a night and it really wasn't good quality sleep. It was me tossing and turning or getting up to go to the bathroom. I felt pretty terrible. I felt pretty terrible. And, um, It's not a way that really leads to an overall healthy life when we short ourselves on sleep because that is our brain's ability to just reset. Think of sleep as when we restart our computer and we do the software updates. We need those updates. Our brain needs sleep to do the updates, to recover from a stressful day, to let our muscles heal, for our metabolism to kick in. Um, typically people don't have as efficient of metabolism if they don't prioritize their sleep. So at another point in time in a different podcast, I will go over tips for developing good sleep, but not for today. So we've talked, talked about establishing boundaries. We've talked about getting adequate sleep. Next, we need to have either someone we can talk to about our emotions as we actually experience our emotions, or we need to journal or type them out. I recommend both, but I realize there may be financial constraints. You may be just completely shut down to the idea of sharing your thoughts with anyone. And I recognize that there's different levels of openness. 
If not today, maybe one day, but if not, that's okay. We're at least aware of it. Four, find a safe place to express our emotions. We really need to have that person or that space where we can just express our emotions. We don't have to hold anything back because when we do, ultimately that builds up layers of repression and those repressed feelings can cause us to go over the deep end. If you think about the mental health disparities that we have going on and the individuals who make extreme behavioral acts, a large part of it is because they did not feel that they had a safe place to express those emotional states. So with that being said, if you find yourself having unsafe or unhealthy thoughts, toxic thoughts, thoughts of harming yourself, thoughts of harming someone else, we need to seek help. It's simply not safe for you. It's not safe for others. So being able to humble ourselves and ask for help when we need it the most. And that is a very courageous, strong thing, but know that it does make us a better person in the long run. And then lastly, being able to change our mindset to a more positive one. I'm not saying you have to go drink a bunch of positive Kool-Aid and start it immediately. It takes time, especially if you have just had a rough, rough year or years. I have friends that have lost loved ones. They've lost their homes due to fires. They've lost everything they've had. They've been in tremendous financial debt. So different things plague us. And so sometimes when we get so bogged down, we can't see the forest for the trees. So we take baby steps in flipping that script of first, maybe we find gratitude. We start to appreciate the little things in life. Again, I will expand on a positive mindset for another podcast. So just a quick recap. Uh, today's podcast is on emotional health signs of good emotional help, how to cultivate it. Your homework is defining those self-care practices that are going to lead to good emotional health. Next week, we'll shift our perspective and we'll focus on a different aspect of self-love. But a lot of self-love is just understanding our emotions, not hiding them and recognizing them. So guys, that's all I have for you tonight. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you.